Thanks for joining us again this week as we continue our series, Relationship Status. Trey is teaching on the subject, Making Moves, as we seek to understand the biblical concept of courtship. Let's listen in as we discover the right moves to make when we begin to move beyond dating and move toward marriage. I want us to pick up tonight in Song of Solomon chapter 2 and verse 8 as we continue in our series that we've been in called Relationship Status. Last week we watched that this couple began the dating phase of their relationship and Remember, the book doesn't give us every single detail about their relationship. It really just gives us snapshots of their relationship as it progresses. And so we were given a snapshot at the beginning of their attraction to each other. Then we were given a snapshot of their first date together. And then we were given a snapshot of those dates uh, turning into dating. So as we arrive at this point in the text, uh, their relationship with each other has become even more serious and even more committed than when we last Uh, left them off, and now they've prepared to take their relationship to the next level. So take a look at it, verse 8, chapter 2. A woman is speaking here, and she says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through The lattice. I want us to discuss this subject tonight. Making moves. Making moves. And understanding the concept of courtship. When you arrive at the courting stage of your relationship, you are now moving beyond dating and moving toward marriage. So think of it like this. When you're dating, the goal is observation. So as we get together and we're dating, we're kind of filling each other out. We're trying to see if this is something that you know, I really want to commit to or not. Is this something that, that God has laid out for me? Is this the man that God wants me to be? Is this the woman God wants me to, do, to be? So, so you observe each other and you try that relationship out. And as it grows and as it progresses, as you begin to understand, that, hey, this is something that God really might be putting together in my life, then as you move into courtship, it's no longer observation. It's now conclusion. You're working towards an end. You're working towards hopefully marrying that person. Uh, So when I say that word courting, some of you are probably like, what in the world is that? I don't know if I've ever heard that word in my life. And that's okay because it's not a word that gets used very much anymore in the relationship world. So let me give you a definition of what courting is. Uh, To court someone is to be involved with them romantically with the intention of marrying. Now hopefully we can see why this is a step up from just dating. When you enter into a courting relationship with someone, you are involved with that person romantically with the intention of marriage. It is the place in which you are deliberately and completely trying to win the heart of the person that you are with. You are set on it. You are all but certain that this is the person that God has for you. So the courting stage of the relationship really is all about making moves. Making moves that ensure your relationship is mature enough for marriage. And so this couple is making these kind of moves and their relationship serves once again as an example for the moves that we should be able to make when our relationship is maturing for marriage. So the first move that they make shows a moving towards togetherness. Go back and look at verse 8 with me again real quick. She says, the voice of my beloved. 
Behold, He comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. So I want you to get this picture with me. This woman's just sitting around the house, uh, minding her own business, when she hears Solomon calling out to her. That's why she says, the voice of my beloved. She hears him calling out. He's like, I'm coming, baby. And here he comes, and she looks up, and here this sucker comes, man. He is on a dad sprint to her house. Why? Because his heart is set upon this woman. She is the only thing that he can think about. And I have to imagine working out like this. You know, all throughout the, the text, she compares Solomon to being a shepherd. Remember, she asked him all that stuff about where you pasture your flocks at and all that good stuff. She wants to meet him in the pasture. And so I have to imagine that, imagine a, a, a long day of work for Solomon, right? Like he's been out in the fields, he's shepherding his flocks, and he's just watching the clock constantly like, all right, my shift about 15 minutes from being over. So he just keeps checking, keeps checking, keeps checking. And finally, his shift ends. What's he do? See ya. As fast as he can run, he's going to his boo house. All right, he's like, I'm coming, sweetheart. Here I come. I've been waiting all day. It's driving me nuts. As soon as the bell rings, boom, he's gone. His heart is set on this woman. She describes him coming to her. Did you notice that? Don't ever underestimate the details that Scripture does give us because you're meant to see them. And it might be hard to understand at times. You might look at this stuff and you're like, uh, what in the world? Like They're talking about stags and does and hills and hollers and mountains and all that stuff. I don't know what in the world is going on. She's like, look at how she describes it. She says, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. This guy's like Superman headed for this woman. In other words... What scripture is showing us is that nothing is going to stand in this man's way of getting to the woman that he loves. Listen to me, guys. When you get to this stage in your relationship, you're going to face some obstacles. And those can vary. They can be different for everyone. But everyone's relationships face obstacles. And so this woman paints this picture of her, her man-to-be leaping over the mountains bouncing over the hills that could have been potential barriers for their relationship. And he says, I ain't nothing going to stop me from getting to her house. Nothing's going to stand in my way of me pursuing this woman who I'm madly and passionately in love with. And look at verse 9. She says, my beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. When he gets there, guys, he's just content with just standing there and looking at her. So he runs all the way to her house and he's like, he runs up to the window and he's just like. And can I give you guys just some advice? I would encourage you just randomly showing up at the girl's house that you like and just awkwardly staring through her window. <laughs> That's a good way to get arrested, I think. But he runs to her house and he's just content with just standing there looking at her. He's like, thank God, I've been waiting all day to get over here. And he's just gazing at her. He doesn't have to talk to her. He doesn't have to physically be touching her. He's just content to just stand there and he's like, man, I've been waiting. I've been looking at these nasty sheep all day long. And I just want to stand here and gaze upon this beautiful woman that I'm madly and passionately in love with. That's a move of togetherness. That's a move of togetherness. There's a strong desire between this couple just to be together with each other. You know what it's like, right? 
When you really start falling in love for somebody, I know my married couples in here can attest to this fact. When you're getting closer and closer and closer and you're thinking, man, this, this girl really might be the one, this guy really might be the one, you can't sleep at night. You lay in your bed and you just daydream. You're just like, man, I wonder what they're doing right now. And you have like two-hour phone conversations. Then you hang up and you're like, redial. You just want to be with that person. They're moving towards togetherness. They, they want to be in each other's presence. Listen to me. If you do not have this desire, if you do not have this kind of passion towards togetherness with the person that you are with, then you are not ready for courtship and you are certainly not ready for marriage. Because do you know what marriage is? You spending your time together. When you go home, he's there. When you go home, she's there. You go shopping together sometimes just to make her happy. You do everything together with each other and you're perfectly fine with it. If you find yourself not wanting to be together but rather just having to tolerate, then your relationship is not necessarily making the moves necessary towards marriage. This couple has a longing, this couple has a passion to be together with each other. Check it out, verse 10. Let's keep moving. She continues to speak and she says, My beloved speaks and says to me. So these next couple of verses, she's quoting Solomon. These are the words that he is speaking to her. He says, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs and the vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. This couple, they're not just moving toward togetherness. They're also moving with liveliness. They're moving with liveliness. Throughout the book, this woman's body and this couple's relationship has been compared to what? It's been compared to a vineyard. And so what we're given a picture of here is a vineyard in springtime. Did you catch that? He says the winter's gone. Things are, things are happening. Things are coming to life. Things are, things are budding out. It's in full blossom. Everything is beaming with life. Flowers are blooming. Trees and vines are blossoming. The birds are singing. All that lovey-dovey stuff, man. Their relationship, in other words, what you get a picture of is this vineyard in, in full bloom, in full blossom. Everything is beaming with life. This is a reflection of their relationship with each other. Their relationship is alive and thriving. It's alive and thriving. It's full of liveliness. This is what a relationship that is growing closer to marriage should look like. It should be alive. It should be thriving. It should be in full bloom. It should be in full blossom. Listen to me. You can tell the difference, right? I hope you can. If you can't, let me help you out. If you're going to enter into this part of the relationship progression, then you need to understand if I'm going to enter into a courtship with this person, if we're moving towards marriage, then our relationship needs to be alive and it needs to be thriving, not dying. And you can tell the difference. At our house, in our front yard, we have two fairly big trees that are both dead. It's a real pleasure to constantly pick up the dead limbs and I got, but both of those trees are dead. And in the wintertime, you can't really tell it, right? Because everything else looks dead as well. Everything else has lost its leaves. 
It looks lifeless. And so to look at our trees in our front yard compared to all the other trees in the neighborhood, you really can't tell that much different in certain times of the year. That's what a bad dying relationship looks like as well. There are certain times when it may look like everything else around it, uh, but when springtime comes around and things really begin to bloom and blossom, uh-oh. So now the neighborhoods have had this warm weather, right? Like all the Bradford pears are blooming out, and it's all nice and pretty, and here's our decrepit trees in the front yard that are still just dead and scraggly looking. And it is very, very obvious that they are dead. They produce no life whatsoever. And here's the thing about it. Every time the wind blows, we sit in the house and pray that it doesn't come crashing through the roof. But every single time, there's going to be limbs all over the yard. And I'm not talking about a few twigs. I'm talking about like massive limbs falling off of these trees. One of them is huge, man. And these massive limbs, every time the wind blows, it doesn't have to be a hard wind. Sometimes it ain't even windy at all. We'll go to bed at night, we'll walk, wake up the next morning, and there's limbs all over the yard. When a relationship is alive and thriving, it's obvious because that couple is blooming. They are blossoming. Everywhere that you see them, you can obviously tell that they are passionately in love with each other. But on the other hand, when a relationship is dying, it's just like those two trees in our front yard. There's no bloom. There's no blossom. There's no sign of life whatsoever for the most part. And just like that little bit of wind that comes through every night and it knocks the dead limbs all in the yard, the first sign of trouble, the first sign of adversity, the first time of hardship that enters into your relationship, you walk outside and there's dead limbs everywhere. Why? Because your relationship is not alive. It is not thriving. It's not moving with liveliness. So many people want to know, how do you keep a relationship thriving and growing? How do you keep a relationship thriving and growing? I've been reading through you guys' questions that you turned in a couple weeks ago, asking for advice from our married couples, which we're going to be doing here in a couple weeks. So I've been reading through and previewing some of those questions. And a lot of you guys want to know, how, how do you just keep it going, man? How do you keep your relationship alive? How do you keep it thriving? How do you keep things active? How do you keep things exciting? And that can be a combination of a lot of different things. It could be acts of sacrifice and service, selflessness and submissiveness, supporting and strengthening. All those things can be combined into a relationship that keeps it active and thriving. But if you look at this couple, they give us two things in particular that show us how they kept their relationship active and alive and thriving. We see those starting in verse 14. So look at it. Verse 14 in chapter 2. He's speaking to the woman here. Just keep that in mind. He says, Oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. The first thing that they placed within their relationship to keep it active and alive and thriving was that they fully trust each other. They fully trust each other. Specifically, girls, she trusts him. He's speaking to her here. And you can see the imagery, right? She's kind of timid. She's kind of tepid. She's hiding up in the cracks of the rock. She's not real sure about whether or not she wants to come out, but he's doing what? He's calling to her. He's reassuring her. He's reaffirming her. If there's one thing that I know about you girls, and I don't know a whole lot about women, 
but I know that you struggle majorly with insecurity and you struggle majorly sometimes with trust issues. And the reason why you do that is because of bad relationships maybe in the past where you were with a guy who didn't treat you like you're supposed to. And so you can be a little bit timid at times, but he reassures her. He reaffirms her. He edifies her. He builds her up. He gains her trust. And incidentally, he trusts her as well. When we get done tonight, after the service is over, more than likely I'll be up here until around 1 o'clock this morning. My wife is going to go home a long time before that. My wife is going to be at home by herself for a long time before I get home. Guess who's not worried about anything? I'm not wringing my hands thinking, oh, Sorry, guys, I can't hang out tonight. I'm going to run home so I can make sure there ain't no other guys running around in the house. I'm not worried about that. I trust my wife completely. She trusts me completely. You ever seen a relationship that didn't have any trust in it whatsoever? I mean, it is just constant, like, berating of where are you at? Who are you with? You guys should be able to develop a trust between each other. That's how your relationship blossoms. That's how it blooms. That's how it is lively. This couple trust each other. You know, I'll just admit it. I like the movie White Chicks. And if you'll remember, the couple has a little bit of an argument there towards the beginning, right? She thinks what? She thinks she's cheating on him. She thinks that he's running around on her, so she tries to call him out on it. And what's he tell her? Baby! If we ain't got trust, we ain't got nothing. This couple trusts each other. And it keeps their relationship moving with liveliness. Look at verse 15. We see the second thing. Catch the foxes for us. Here's some more of that weird Song of Solomon stuff. The little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. Anybody have a clue? They fully trust each other. Then number two, they fight threats together. You know what the worst thing you could possibly get into a, a vineyard? A fox. And in those times, they counted on vineyards for a lot of things. Vineyards produce what? Grapes. And so when springtime came around, the vines would blossom out with these flowers. And as the flowers began to be in full bloom, they would sooner or later fall off and the grape would begin to grow. And if you got a fox in that vineyard, that little sucker is going to wreak havoc on your vineyard. He's going to come in, and he's going to pull all those grapes off the vine before they ever have a chance to reach maturity. And so the last thing that you would want in your vineyard would be a fox. There are endless amounts of things that can threaten your relationship with each other before it has the opportunity to reach maturity. So when he says to her, catch the foxes for us keep in mind that he says us by the way it's a team effort it takes both of you in the relationship to make sure that it's not ruined to make sure that it's not killed by something that would come in and threaten it he's saying let's make sure we keep an eye on things especially the things that would threaten to ruin our relationship this good thing that we have going on what can those things be it could be sexual immorality the quickest killer of a relationship that's moving with liveliness. It could be anger. 
one of you has a temper and it's not working out too good in your relationship. It's killing your relationship. It could be possessiveness to the point where it suffocates the relationship that you're in. It could be this. It could be idolatry to where you begin to idolize each other instead of worshiping the God who has given you the relationship, you worship each other within your relationship. And so your relationship begins to suffer because of that. All these things can, can cause issues. It can cause your relationship to, instead of continuing to move with liveliness, to be throttled, to be killed, to be ruined. And so they fully trust each other and they fight threats together. So this couple fights against the foxes that could potentially ruin their relationship. And collectively... Together, they help each other with these things. So their courtship and their relationship continues to move with liveliness. And the last thing, they're moving with liveliness, they're moving toward togetherness, and the last thing is they're moving in eagerness. Look at verse 16. We're fixing to get into the good stuff, just in case you're getting worried. My beloved is mine. She's speaking again here. He says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. And you're like, man, Trey, you just got on to us about being possessive. (laughs) There is a level of ownership that you do take over each other, but at the same time, you don't smother each other with that possessiveness. She says, my beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. Or maybe your version says mountains of Bether. Or maybe your version says hills of Bether. Either way, we got to get to the bottom once again of what this woman is talking about. She's shifting gears here. She's seen the way this man has treated her. She trusts in him fully. They fight the foxes that can ruin their relationship with each other. And just like at the end of chapter 1 and chapter 2 there where she got all excited and all it worked up, she's getting all excited and getting all worked up a little bit again. And she says, you need to be like a gazelle, you need to be like a stag on these mountains. Mountains. What mountains is she talking about? It's interesting because if you were to do a word study, on the word Bether, the Hebrew word is actually Bethar, which means separate. Or it could mean twin peaks. So throughout the book, this woman's breasts have been compared to the hills of frankincense and myrrh, or twin does, uh, twin fawns. And so when she says, be like a young stag on the mountains of Bether, She is saying, you need to come over here and get with it. She's passionate again. She wants her man. She's getting excited as their relationship is progressing. It's growing and it's thriving. There's an increase in their eagerness to be intimate with each other. This woman says, I want you all night to be like a young stag on the heels of Bether. They're growing with passion. They're growing in their eagerness to be intimate with each other. Listen to me, guys. Listen to me, girls. That's good. That's normal. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm so sick of the world 
defining what sex is. I'm so tired of the world defining what sexuality is meant to be. Listen to me. The world doesn't know jack about sex. In case you don't know, God wrote the book on that stuff. He's got the manual right here for it. He knows it better than anybody. Their passion, their eagerness to be intimate with each other, that's perfectly fine. That is perfectly normal. This woman, check it out. Let's keep moving. She's starting to lose sleep at night because she wants this man so bad. Look at verse 1 of chapter 3. She says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city, in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. She's dying to be with him. And the watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed him when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house. Because is meeting the parents now. It's getting really serious at this point. She said, I'm tired of you dragging your feet. I'm tired of you waiting around. It's time to meet the parents. It's time to put a ring on this finger. And it's time to get this stuff done because I can't stand it any longer. Until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Look at verse 5. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles of the does of the field, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. Verse 5 looks familiar to us, doesn't it? There's passion. There's eagerness. There's a desire to be intimate. But once again, it is under control. The time's not right yet. And it is a team effort by this couple to control the moves that they are making and eagerness to be intimate with each other. Listen, at this point in your relationship, guys, you have to be more careful than ever to make sure that you don't fall headfirst into your passions and your desires. Trust me, I know. I've been there. I have done that. We got some people in this room that are in an engagement right now, and I promise you, the fire is burning as hot as it has ever burned. And that is fine. Absolutely fine. But the time's not right yet. Not yet. Use whatever means necessary to keep your relationship sexually pure. Whatever means necessary. Guys, y'all go out on a date with your girl. Things have gotten serious. You're at this phase in your relationship and you take her home. You get to the doorstep. Some people want to say, you know, you don't even need to kiss or anything like that during your relationship. That's great if you can do that, but I'm a realist and I understand that, that ain't going to happen. And so you walk her to the door, you give her a kiss, and then you turn around and run back to your daggum car if you have to. Do not, girls, give him an invitation to anything more. Don't open up the door if you're struggling with morality and say, hey, you want to come in for a little bit? Well, duh. No, no thanks. I'm good. I'll just go home, you know, and call it a night. I'm kind of tired. No. It don't matter if he's got to be up for work at 4 o'clock the next morning. He's going to come in. And if he comes in, guess what's going to happen? You're going to do stuff you're not supposed to be doing. Use whatever means necessary to keep yourself sexually pure, guys. 
It's a struggle. I know it is. It's hard. It's difficult. It's easy for me to sit up here and say this stuff. It's easy for you to sit out there and hear this stuff. It's quite another thing when next weekend you're dropping her off at the house and you have a choice to make. Whatever means necessary. Don't give in to it. Control it. You're close. The wedding day's coming for this couple. They know it. Don't blow it just yet. Don't blow it just yet. Can you guys just take a step away for a minute? Can you see the gospel in this? Can you see the gospel in this? I hope you can. If you can't, just look at what we just walked through. Think about the fact that God did this, just like we talked about at the beginning. God moved toward you. He moved toward you. The last time I checked, none of us went up to heaven and asked God for salvation. No, he brought heaven down to us through the form of his son, Jesus Christ. He moved toward you. And where this world would tell you that you have life apart from him, what God begins to show you through a relationship with him and his son, Jesus Christ, is that you find life like you've never known it before. Now your life begins to blossom. Now your life begins to bloom. You experience everlasting, abundant life like you've never experienced or had before. He's moving your life with liveliness. And then as he continues to invade your life with his love, then guess what begins to happen? He begins to move you in an eagerness to know him in a more intimate way than you ever have before. So I know we're talking about a lot of romance stuff. I know this Song of Solomon stuff. We have, we have we got a couple, we got a man and a woman, and they're pursuing each other, and it's a love story. But even more so than that, it's a picture, it is a symbol of God's love story and his relationship that he desires to have with each and every one of us. He has moved towards us. He will give you liveliness like you've never experienced it before, and he will fill your life with an eagerness to know him in ways which you never thought were possible. And if you don't know him, you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with Jesus. Just know this. That's what he's done for you. He wants to know you. He wants you to experience a relationship with him. All right? So if your relationship is ready for it, start making moves. Moves that carry you beyond dating toward marriage. We pray that you have been impacted by the message. Be sure to keep tuning in as we continue to discover God's design for our relationships. We encourage you to stay sensitive to the Spirit as He guides your life.